I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. It is week two of Public Domain Movie Month, where we will be doing the 1940s, and our selection for this decade is 1946's The Strange Love of Martha Ivers. You're coming into this completely blind. First impressions, Rob. The first thing that stands out to me, I was not as impressed with Barbara Stanwyck in this movie. Oh, okay. Not um, as impressed by Barbara Stanwyck in, in terms of relative to the other actors or relative to her other work? Both. Okay. This is not that I've seen a ton of Barbara Stanwyck movies, but I've seen a few at this point. Mm-hmm. So far, this is my least favorite okay. of hers. Interesting. Van Heflin has previously made an appearance in the podcast. Return to Yuma. Yep. I was still impressed with him. It took me a couple minutes to figure out who he was. Mm-hmm. And I was impressed with Kirk Douglas. Yeah, especially for what is his screen debut. Kirk Douglas, uh, prior to this film, had done uh, some stage work. He'd also been in radio soap operas. And apparently, he was suggested to the producer Hal Wallace by Lauren Bacall. Hal Wallace was looking for new talent. And uh, Lauren, I guess, had worked with him in some capacity and said, give my friend Kirk a try. Do you know how old he was at this? So I guess he I was look. born in 19, 16. 1916. This is 1946. So he would have been 30. I mean, that's... Relatively late to get your start in the film. Well, but for... A, I was going to say, for a first performance, that's a relatively strong performance. Yes, it's but a quite strong performance. Clearly, this isn't his like first actual performance. Mm-hmm. And yeah. He'd been around for a little while, but yeah. It's also very different from the types of characters he would be known uh, to play. He'd be known to play very strong individuals, and uh, Walter is not a well, he Well, he kind of alternates. He has moments of strength, but mm-hmm. at his core, he's not... Yeah. Also of note in the cast is Elizabeth Scott. I was discussing Elizabeth Scott with you a month or two ago when I went through a little uh, mini-marathon of her work. This is not her film debut, as it is sometimes attributed to being. She was actually in a film the previous year called uh, You Came Along, and a small part in that. But this essentially launched her career. It was not a particularly long career. Uh, she had more or less retired from films uh, at the end of 1957. She did come back and make one more film appearance in the 1950s, but she basically became a singer. That's more or less how she uh, financed herself for the remaining of her, remainder of her career. She is a Ukrainian-American actress, rather striking-looking, uh, very similar uh, to Lauren Bacall. Uh, she was kind of the non-union Lauren Bacall, as it were. She'd get a lot of the same type of parts. Uh, she was very famous for her uh, love life, been romantically linked uh, to everyone from James Mason and Peter Lawford to Lord David Mountbatten and Burt Bacharach. Uh, married twice, uh, both very brief marriages, but she had a long off-and-on affair with the producer of this film, Hal Wallace. Hal Wallace had a long career as a producer, everything from uh, Casablanca, in 1942 to True Grit in 1969, hmm. and he was obsessed with Elizabeth Scott. Most of Elizabeth Scott's work was under Hal Wallace, and as they had an affair, uh, Hal Wallace was married. His first wife passed away. Hal wanted to marry Elizabeth, who said, no thank you, and he would later remarry, and his second wife uh, told an interviewer that uh, they had a projection room in their home, and said, Hal, would you go in there and watch Elizabeth Scott movies? And how that was on their relationship, knowing that she was not the first choice, and that he never got over her. 
And I feel as though you've told this story previously on the podcast. I don't think I told it on a podcast, but I think I've told it to you. Okay. Uh, but I, I just find that kind of kind of fascinating. What did you think of her? Uh, she's fine. She's just a little bit lesser on in the this role. She's the weaker of the the weakest of the four. I don't know if she's even the weakest. I feel as though we don't get to see enough of her to make that determination. Mm-hmm. I guess she just has less screen time. So, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, 1946, based on a short story called uh, Love Lies Bleeding by John Patrick. It was directed by Lewis Milestone. Lewis Milestone had a very long directing career going back to the silent era. He's directed everything from the Academy Award-winning All Quiet on the Western Front in 1930 to Ocean's Eleven in 1960. Wow. You want to go over what the story is of The Strange Love of Martha Ivers? Well, Sam, Sam Masterson, played by Van Heflin, comes back to this town and is reunited with some of his childhood friends, specifically Martha Ivers, played by Barbara Stanwyck, and Walter O'Neill, played by Kirk Douglas. Martha Ivers was the niece of another Miss Ivers. Played by Judith Anderson. Yep. And we see this in kind of a prologue that's about the first 15 minutes. There. Yeah. And Miss Ivers just does not like her her niece they don't get along yeah just really cruel to her and she, and Martha played by you know ultimately by Barbara Stanwyck has tried to run away multiple times she's running away with Sam who she refers to as Sammy they meet on the train and are running away and are foiled and she's returned to the house she has a cat that she likes but her aunt won't let her keep the cat so they're trying to sneak around the house so she can have it and a young Walter O'Neill has taken it back to her bedroom, and as Martha is getting ready to flee during a powder out power outage with Sam, the cat escapes and is going down the stairs and makes enough noise that her aunt comes out and clubs and kills the cat to prove a point to Martha, who in turn knocks her aunt down the stairs, and she dies. And this has been this lifelong secret and and impetus for this entire relationship. Sam took off as soon as, you know, earlier, you know, and he tried to wait for Martha, but Walter O'Neill's father was her tutor and now turns into essentially her, not just guardian, but oppressor and and forces her to, to stick around. Apparently she left for a couple years to go to college but otherwise, even to this day, is still living in her childhood home. And then Sam comes back into town, and the three of them reunite, and the rest of the plot revolves around the jealousies of Walter, the rekindled love of Sam and Martha, and you know that unrequited love type thing, as well as this... He's met Tony Marichek as soon as he comes into town. Which is, which is Elizabeth Scott's character. Yeah, and... He's kind of quickly fallen into a relationship with her, which is disrupted by this rekindling with Martha and just kind of the interplay of those relationships. So, Yeah, it's, uh, it, is this a film noir? I don't know. That's a good answer. It's kind of a film noir. It's got elements of film noir in it. It's got the femme fatale. Uh, it's got uh, people being hit over the head with things. It's got... Uh, Crooked cops and, and seamy back alleys and scenes in bars and stuff. More crooked private cops. Private cops. 
This is an industrial town. They never say exactly where it is. My guess would be New York or Pennsylvania. It was somewhere back east because they were talking about driving yeah, to the west driving coast. West. It has some really nice places in it. Like that hotel is pretty nice. They go to a club that's pretty nice. It's got a full like orchestra in there. So it's pretty fancy, mid-sized uh, factory town. So it's it's got a lot of Moorish elements to it, but it's really in spirit more of a gothic melodrama. It's more of a Jane Eyre type obsessions and unspoken loves and that kind of thing. And it's it's played as melodrama more than noir. What stood out to you about the film, or what are some more thoughts that, that you have about it? Well, the ending is an obvious yeah. answer to that. Yeah, at the end of the movie, again, we're a spoiler cast, and this is a 1946 film, so... We're not really spoiling that much. Mm-hmm. But the film ends with Sam leaving Martha with Walter, and he's getting ready to leave the town. And Sam had been going back and forth about who, which girl, and ultimately decided that Martha's sick in the head. Yeah. And uh, that uh, Tony is the girl for him. And so he leaves the mansion, leaves Walter and, Walter Martha. and Martha there. Martha, who's basically who just minutes earlier had told uh, Walter Walt, uh, told Sam to kill oh, yeah. Walter yeah and uh, Sam wouldn't do it that's when he decided nah she's crazy yeah so Sam or not Sam Walter picks pulls the gun out of his pocket and points it at, at Martha and basically he's again too they're coward. hugging yeah they're, 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 it, it seems like they're about to, to, to reconcile and it feels like Walter knows that he's just going to be, that he, you know, he loves her so much more than she loves him. And that he's just going to be caught in this thing forever unless he ends it. And the movie ends in a murder-suicide. Well, but, but it's not. Because he pulls the gun, and then he basically is too coward to pull the trigger. Uh, so right. she pulls the trigger for him, mm-hmm. and then he, he kills himself. Yeah. So it basically ends in a double suicide. It's surprising. I, I It's been a while since I've seen this. I'd forgotten that. But for 1946, yeah. and there's the whole psychosexual thing to it. Well, and there's also the element of Sam watching it through the window. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a number of moments like that in this film. There's the scene at the campfire when uh, Sam and Martha go up on the hill to overlook the town, and they see some smoke. So they go to investigate the smoke, and it's a campfire. When they were kids, they used to go up to this overlook and, and make little fires there. So they're having a conversation, and Martha basically sp- spills the beans about having killed her aunt, thinking that Sam knew. And then Sam said, I'd left before that happened. Like yeah. As soon as your aunt was coming in the picture, I skedaddled because I was in trouble already. So I didn't know that you had killed her until just now. And then the backstory is that they lied about it. They said that she was killed by an intruder. Her and Walter had said that and gone under oath about it. And many years later, when Walter Walter became the district attorney, they found a guy and they accused him of committing the murder and they tried him and convicted him and hung him. Yeah. And ever since that time, Walter, who is kind of a weak guy, kind of... A good enough guy that he feels awful about what he did. And he became a, a drunk after that. And Martha's trying to, to kind of push him back up and has these dreams of, well, if I'm stuck with him, he's going to 
be a powerful man. We're talking not just district attorney, but someday governor and maybe president. Yeah, and the way that that just manip- that relationship just through the the presence of Sam deteriorates to that basically double suicide. Yeah, yeah. That is very good work, uh, especially by Kirk Douglas for a film debut. Yeah, something so different from what we know him from. The later. the plot just has it. It just keeps twisting. Like yeah. every time you think that you've got it figured out, it kind of takes a little bit of a different direction right up to the end. I think Stanwick's really solid in this, but I really think that Van Heflin yeah. is the strongest in this movie. He, I, I would agree. Whenever 100%. he's on screen, the, that's the best. But he is. only barely beats out Kirk Douglas in yeah. that regard because Kirk, Kirk Douglas this really is a good performance. And in fact, if it was a little bit of a different character, maybe he would be the person who leads. But his little bit of cowardice, I think, almost rubs you the wrong way and, and discounts it yeah, slightly. Yeah. But I don't know. That's me. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's I, interesting that that Heflin, you know, that when the the credits come on, it's it's Stanwick, Heflin, Elizabeth Scott, and then on the second tier of credits, this would be at Kirk Douglas. Yeah, and Kirk Douglas is the best remembered of all these people. Yeah, he definitely is. There's a lot of factors there mm-hmm. in that regard, but yeah, I'm I'm I've become a fan of Van Heflin. He, I've always yeah. enjoyed that three ten to Yuma. Uh-huh. And watching this, you know, yeah. he's good. He's he's real solid. Yeah, he's not he's not particularly well remembered. This period in the mid forties was probably the height of his career. He made a number of films with Joan Crawford, among others, and then he would continue to work for many years. In declining parts, he was he was in the greatest story ever told, uh, yeah. the Jesus film. I can't remember what part he played. But I usually think of him as the mad bomber in airport, 19, the original airport, 1970, who sets a bomb off on the plane to kill himself in the hope of his wife getting the insurance. Yeah. How would you rate this film? I think it's a solid three star. I, I think there are periods in the film that are kind of slow, but it's scattered throughout. There's these moments, just real strong dialogue, the interactions between the characters and some of these scenes are super strong and I think that it takes about a half an hour really to get going and then it just starts to chug along more and more and gets more suspenseful and more interesting and goes on so I would give it three stars on the four star scale and I would give it an eight out of ten. Yeah, I'm pretty close to where you are. I think you like it just slightly more than I would. I'm, I'm going to go two and a half and seven. Okay. So, But not a big difference there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a really solid film. Again, like I wish that we should have probably done a little more research and had some information on how some of these slipped into the public domain. Mm. But this is a strong movie to be in public domain. Yeah. This was so. my first choice for the 1940s. Yeah. I was thinking about what, what should represent the decade. And I think this is only about the third time I've seen this, but it, it left an impression from, from the first viewing. Yeah. Any ideas how this did? I would imagine it did pretty good. I'm not seeing that on IMDb. Uh, the only number I was able to find uh, on IMDb is that its uh, U.S. box office was uh, 3.25 million. No. Yeah. You ready for a little bit of trivia? Yeah. Van Heflin's first movie after serving three years in the U.S. Army Corps. Oh. He, this was in World War II, obviously, and he was with the 9th Air Force in Europe and the 1st Motion Picture Unit. And for this film, he was on loan from MGM. All right. I believe this was a Paramount release. 
It was. Here's a, a bit of trivia, a deep dive for you. Okay. Future movie pr- writer, producer, and director Blake Edwards. Uh-huh. Any guesses where he is in this film? In one of the bar scenes. No, he has an uncredited bit part as a sailor who hitches ride with Sam Masters. Oh, he's the sailor at the beginning of the film. Yeah. How about that? Director Lewis Milestone is quoted in an article in the Los Angeles Sun Mirror on December 8th, 1946, as having said that he would never make another movie with producer Hal B. Wallace because Wallace wanted to reshoot scenes in this movie for more close-ups of Elizabeth Scott. (laughs) Milestone reportedly told Wallace to shoot them himself, and so he did. Wow. The car that Sam Masterson played by Van Heflin drives into Iverstown at the beginning of this movie is a 1942 DeSoto Custom Convertible. It's a nice car. Yeah. The Screen Guild Theater broadcast a 30-minute radio adaptation of the movie on June 30th, 1947 with Kurt Douglas reprising his role in the movie. That was actually a fairly common thing to do radio versions of films. Cecil B. DeMille had a program that did that and when possible, they would get the actors from the films, and usually they were closer to an hour. And it's really kind of an interesting beast that doesn't exist anymore. It's really kind of Reader's Digest radio versions of major films, because yeah. you're never going to see these films again, most people, because you didn't have the home video market, so you would hear it on the radio several years later. Yeah. top build star Barbara Stanwyck does not appear in the first 30 minutes of the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's all the uh, trivia that I have on this one. What other uh, closing thoughts, what other tidbits am I missing on this one? Uh, I just, you know, I think it's solid. Uh, I, I think that one of the reasons people know it now is because of Kirk Douglas's debut and because of the public domain status of it. I, I, it was years ago. Actually, it was about ten years ago I was looking on blog. It was July of 2012 that I first saw this, and I think I saw it because I was looking through a list of public domain films, and I recognized some of these names. I'm like, I'll give this a, give this a watch. I was just about to ask you how you came across this the first mm. time, so yeah, you beat me to the punch. Yeah, this has an aggregate score on IMDb of 7.4 stars. It is currently available for free on Amazon Prime, so if you're intrigued and want to watch this. And any number of platforms, it has a 100% Rotten Tomatoes score. Does it really? No. Yeah. Rotten Tomatoes is intriguing on some of those scores, like just how different they are. It's rotten. It's 100%, but it's off of 10 reviews. Wow. This 7.4 is off of 9,899 reviews. Indeed. So, anyways, I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. I need to double check our levels. Okay. I feel like... It's been a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, checking the levels has become a little bit of a gimmick for us. And you know, a gimmick is an angle that works for you. Keeps you from working too hard for yourself. It's one of the better lines. No. I also liked, uh, You've killed, I've never murdered. Right? I've never murdered? You ready? Yeah. I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to week two of our It's in Pearlman month, in which we'll be discussing The House of Sand and Fog. Yes. So, The House of Sand and Fog, hey. 
we're we're getting off script here. Uh, week two of public domain. No, I was going to start over. I was just trying to throw you for a little. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you even realize, like, you didn't pick out the director's name? No. Uh, I thought you said Yitzhak Perlman. I'm like, are we now a music podcast? What's his name? Yitz- Yitzhak Perlman? It's a... He's a musician. Vadim Perlman. Yes. Anyways. Digression over. It is week... No, like, I was going to actually start over. I'm Rob. Okay. This is twice in two months that we've had a recording hiatus. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. My fault this time. My wife's fault last time. <laughs> I can actually technically blame it on my nerves. Yeah. It's yeah. a medical joke. Yeah. So how many other... So you did go through Elizabeth Scott kick, and how many of hers did you ultimately watch? Uh, I think I've seen four. Yeah. Altogether, including this one. So, where does this fall? In the middle. Yeah. I'm blanking the name. There, there was one that I liked definitely better than this. Yeah. Uh, and then the other two were less than this. Do you, based on your limited exposure, do you feel the obsession was warranted? I kind of get the obsession. Yeah. Uh, but it was an obsession. You know, it was it was out of proportion. Yeah. Uh, I do think, you know, she's interesting. I, I think it's interesting the way her career went and that she, I mean, she never became a big star, uh, but she worked. And then after about 10, 11 years in the industry, she's like, I'm done. Yeah. And in one of the other films, she sings. And that's okay. what she had done before she got into film. And she's okay. Yeah. She did well enough at that to finance a life. Yeah. Uh, for decades. Yeah. But, yeah, she's an interesting little footnote. She is, you know, the dollar store Lauren Bacall. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a mean way of saying it, but you, know, you can't not look at her and think Lauren Bacall. I mean, even some of the outfits that she was wearing. Yeah. Was, I'm like, it feels like they got this from stock. You know, actually, so I forgot to mention this in the recording. Did you have a favorite, like, dig or insult from this movie? I, do you? I sound yes. like you do. Okay, what's your favorite? So mine, I thought it was a little bit more subtle, and I'm not sure you caught it okay. when it came up. So Barbara Stanwyck, when we first see her in the movie, mm-hmm. she's basically wearing the same dress all the time. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, okay, yeah. So at one point when Sam has come over and has left, and she's there with Walter, she says she's going to go change, and he asks her why, and she says that she wouldn't want Sam to see her in the same dress twice. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's a mean man. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is that's a that's a deep dig. Like, mm-hmm. and I think you had to be paying attention to catch that yeah. one. But yeah, did you have one that stands out? Not really.